This is VLX number 71, Humble of Heart. We're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, Afidis, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Afidis, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So it's very interesting that in this month of June when I'm recording this, in this single section of the Bible, we have both things that refer to June. We have a mention of Sodom and a mention of the Sacred Heart, both in today's pericope or section. Now, sometimes you will meet progressives who will say the sin of Sodom was lack of hospitality. That's just not true. The sin of Sodom was sodomy. All the church fathers are unanimous on this. Lapide says that, of course, the clearest is the Bible. That is why God destroyed that city. Um, so their sin was not a lack of hospitality. It really was what people believed 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 300 years ago and 400 years ago. This was the main sin of Sodom, namely sodomy. Um, and so avoid progressives who say anything else. But there's a mistake that conservatives and um, traditionalists often make on this front, and they'll say things like, if God doesn't destroy San Francisco soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever heard that? If God doesn't destroy San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't like that. I, I don't think you should say that. You might think it sounds like tough guy theology to say something like that, but it's wrong for three reasons. One, because Capernaum was not destroyed, as we're going to see. Um, two, Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the grace of the New Testament. And three, here's the main reason you shouldn't say things like, if God doesn't destroy San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Three is because that phrase demands that God apologize to man for his decisions found in the unsearchable depths of his providence. And such a demand is blasphemy. People would say, oh, calm down, Father David, it's just a joke. Well, no, I, my, re my reply to that is don't make blasphemous jokes. Now, today's also interesting because I was going to put both of today's sections in two different VLXs because it's kind of long. But the reason I combined it is because I really want you to understand justice and mercy. That To really understand God's mercy, you have to see it through the eyes of his justice. And to see his justice, you have to see it through the eyes of his mercy. So I combined both of these because people seem to pick and choose on this. Um, the arrogant of heart will get God's justice. Many people believe and know that's true. And the childlike will get God's mercy, and that's true. 
But I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, children are innocent and love justice while most adults are wicked and prefer mercy. And so remember that um, everything has to be seen through the eyes of a child, which often is hungry for justice. We're going to see what that means in a minute. First line I want to look at in depth is this, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. Now, we've covered in these VLX series, think of how many miracles were worked in Capernaum. Jesus's home was right there. Now, you have to remember this. Because of bad movies like Monty Python, we always think of everybody in the past as bad and stupid. But they weren't. They were no more evil or dumb than people today. So when people heard Jesus speak like this of Capernaum, he probably sounded a little bit like he was exaggerating. Like people really aren't that bad here. But they weren't believing in Christ after all these miracles. And so his harsh words are not without merit. Not that our Lord needs my compliment on that, but you have to realize that even though they didn't think of themselves as very bad, by rejecting Christ after all these miracles, it made them very, very bad. Um, perhaps in, let's say, pick a random place now, Rome. Maybe people in Rome would say, well, God's justice would never fall on Rome because we have the Vatican there and all these beautiful churches, and we have the incorrupt bodies of so many saints, including St. Peter and Paul. But think about it. Our Lady of La Salette, that apparition, maybe it was 150 years ago, Mary, the mother of God, said Rome would lose the faith. So now imagine if Jesus sent a prophet today to say something, and you, Rome, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to hell. The DREB, the DRB translation there is better. Shalt thou be exalted up to heaven, thou shalt go down even unto hell. So these are real places and these are real people and there's real consequences to rejecting Christ. And you don't get to choose, you don't get to hide behind the patrimony of your people. Again, Capernaum was where Jesus was living and they didn't accept the gospel. The same thing could happen in any of our cities that we think of as Catholic, like Rome. And again, it was Our Lady's words, not mine, that said Rome will lose the faith. So you see, this isn't an empty threat. There's real consequences to us responding to Jesus today or tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes, by the way. Um, and so Christ really meant Capernaum was headed to hell because they rejected him after all these miracles and they still at least wouldn't pay attention. Um, the next line, For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Does that mean maybe Sodom would have repented? No. It means we are positive Sodom would have repented if they had seen Jesus do his miracles. How do we know this? Because Jesus is God, and if he said it, it's true. Namely, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Well, let's look at the Dewey Rhymes Bible. It says, For if in Sodom had been wrought the miracles that have been wrought in thee, perhaps it had remained until this day. Father Lapide shows that perhaps right there is a mistranslation of the Greek word. Greek word there for perhaps is on, which really, he says, Father Lapide, not me, should be translated as certainly or verily. And he adds this Greek word on, quote, does not mean that Christ had any doubt about Sodom's remaining, but that even though it certainly would have remained, yet this remaining would have been of its own free will. Therefore, the word on denotes that he foresaw what would have happened as it were fortuitously, end quote. So what I want you to pick up from that long quote there is, 
Father Lapide is saying Jesus is not giving this as a maybe. He's saying definitely this is what would have happened. Yes, because Jesus is God. So he wasn't exaggerating. He knows and asserts that Sodom and Gomorrah really would have repented if they saw Christ's miracles. Too many of us Catholics have had uh, the not even the historical critical, I should say the literary critical method brainwash us to not think of the word of God as an errant. But everything in the Bible is an errant. And so when Christ says that, he means it. Now, as I said earlier, this is the month of the sacred heart. I recently heard an excellent sermon on how the main disease in human history is not a virus, but pride. And the only medicine for that pride that's in every human culture, every country, every nation, every tribe, that started in the heart of Adam and Eve and everybody after them, the only remedy to this would be a heart so completely humble that it could actually heal us of our pride. This is, of course, the heart of Jesus. And we heard today, if you're listening closely, Jesus gave two adjectives to describe his own heart. We cover over this, or we, we gloss over this so frequently because we read this a thousand times. But do you realize the Son of God just gave us the two adjectives that he wants us to learn from his own heart? Um, I want to get back to what this priest said. It was actually a different time he said this to me, not, to, not the sermon that I heard. But he basically said, who would have thought that the incarnation of the God of the universe would reveal a heart that is lowly and gentle. And then this God of the universe who can make supernovas didn't even defend himself when we puny creatures come to kill him. And he won't let himself be defended. You know, right before making this podcast today, I was listening to a Jocko Willink podcast, Jocko podcast. This is one of the most highly trained warriors in all of world history. One of the few celebrities whose conversions I pray for by name. Um, I mean, I want them all to convert, but I pray for him by name to become a Catholic. I don't think he's Christian. Now, why would someone like Jocko, a Navy SEAL, who trained other Navy SEALs, why would he want to follow a man, namely Jesus, a God-man Jesus, who describes himself as gentle and lowly? My answer, if Jocko were to ever ask this of me, is precisely because of Christ's decision to not use that power. Remember, Peter, maybe in this way, Peter was like Jock or any Navy SEAL who's not Christian yet. Remember in the garden and Jesus is being arrested and Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest to defend Jesus. What does Jesus say? Listen closely to these words. I'm going to give you this directly. Put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? End quote. Okay, a legion is 6,000 people, or in this case, angels. So Jesus is saying he could just mind will it and have 72,000 angels at his beck and call. Can you imagine that? Just one angel could mind will it and destroy the entire Roman Empire if God allowed him to. And here Jesus is saying at his own beck and call, he could have 12 legions, which again is 72,000 angels, at his dispatch of his own divine will. But he doesn't. And why? Because he wants to convince us of his love. I uh, do some pro-life work with a man named Father Fidelis. He's a Franciscan in the Bronx. And if you're watching the YouTube, I'm putting some pictures up of him right now. This is a perfect example of someone who could do more. But as the people who scream for abortion, he stands silently as Christ. A friend of mine texted me these pictures saying this is the modern day passion. Again, Jesus is the infinite God, but we're to learn from him, and he only gives us two words to imitate, 
directly, gentle and lowly. And so what I'm going to suggest is keep coming back to the passion in your meditation. If you're doing the Ignatian mental prayer, I would suggest you picture Jesus before Pilate, Jesus before the crowds, when, when Pilate says, Ecce homo, behold the man. And Jesus has had most of the skin scraped off of him. He has on a crown of thorns, and he stands silent before all these people. What's in his sacred heart at this, at this moment? We're going to keep talking about this. So if you're doing the Ignatian mental prayer, stick with us This stick with us through here. Um, and so remember that Christ is not just the Son of God, but he is God. So here at the top of the praetorium in Jerusalem, silent Jesus about to be crucified, you have the creator of, supernova, creator of supernovas. And he remember, people don't like to talk about this. He's actually the one himself who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he is the second person of the Trinity, and the Trinity destroyed Sodom. So it was Christ that destroyed Sodom. But here he is, as T.S. Eliot said, some infinitely gentle and infinitely suffering thing. You see, the heart is the seat of the intellect, and it's the center of the responsibility, and it's the love of a person. And so we should listen really, really closely when a dying person or someone who is going to die within the next three years tells you about their heart. And today's gospel gives us only two words, gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. But I just told you that Jesus is the same person who destroyed Sodom. So this leads to the question, is the Old Testament God different from the New Testament God? No, it's not. He's not. The difference is that in the new law, God takes all these sins on himself. It doesn't mean that there's no vengeance anymore, but that judgment is reserved at this point. In the Old Testament, judgment happened relatively immediately. For those saved versus those who aren't saved, those not saved, especially judgment is reserved for hell. Um, especially since in a world of free will, the anger of man worketh not the justice of God. That's St. James chapter 1, verses 20. The anger of man worketh not the justice of God. Or think of St. Paul in Romans 12. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now remember, that's just as much a promise as a threat. But that doesn't mean the heart of the second person of the Trinity has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It means that in the New Testament, judgment is reserved, and we are called to be like Jesus, who takes on the sins of the world. And where's my biblical proof of this? Of course, it's Colossians 1.24. Listen closely, especially if you're a non-Catholic Christian, because it might have rattled you a little bit that I say we're supposed to take on sins too. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Well, what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Nothing. It was 100% of everything we needed for the atonement. But because I am a cell in the body of Christ, God has chosen me to offer up in reparation my sufferings for the continued sins of the world. If you're watching the CPX, it's a lot like this. that As sin continues in the world, so the Mass, which is the one sacrifice of Christ on the Calvary, continues through time. And so also we on earth offer up our sufferings and we take, in a certain sense, um, we are all co-redeemers, with Christ. And this is why we don't, you know, usually fight back. Now, of course, you're called to defend your families against intruders and stuff. But again, you saw those pictures of Father Fidelis. There's also a, a higher calling for especially priests and nuns and martyrs that we stand as Christ, that we could do more. And yet we choose to have a heart that is lowly and humble so that less people would go to hell as judgment is reserved. It doesn't mean there's any less justice in the God of the New Testament as the God of the Old Testament, or it doesn't mean that there is more mercy in the God of the New Testament than the God of the Old Testament. 
Um, so Christ describes his own sacred heart. Listen closely. Take my yoke upon you. This is from today's gospel, Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's look at those two words, gentle and lowly, because I want to just look at a few different translations there. In the uh, Dewey Rhymes, it's meek and humble. In the NIV, it's gentle and humble. The Latin has mitis and humilis. Now, the Greek is praus, which is defined in my Bible as gentle, humble, and considerate. And then the next line in the Greek is astonishing. Tepenos tecardia. Tepenos tecardia. Cardia, you hear the very root of our English word cardiogram there, or echocardiogram. So what is the echocardiogram of Jesus that he reveals to us of himself? Tepenos, which is poor, subservient, and humble in my Greek dictionary. So there you have it. Tepenos tecardia, or lowly in the very depths of his heart. Uh, let's see these two adjectives, many translations that I just gave you now all together. These are only two words, but all these translations together is meek, humble, gentle, considerate, poor, subservient, humble. That, that is how the Bible, that is how Jesus himself described his own heart. Meek, humble, gentle, considerate, poor, subservient, humble. And again, if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer picture, Christ before Pilate, as that, silent, holy and loving. Now, who knew the heart of Jesus best? Of course, it's Mary. And right behind Mary, or maybe I should say in reflection of Mary, since Mary is the exemplar of the church who, and the church gives us the words of the litany of the sacred heart. Now, we often race through these litanies, of course, um, but these litanies show us how the church describes the heart of Jesus. And it's worth listening to. I'm going to refrain from giving you the responses just for the sake of brevity and so you can focus in on the church's words as the church has mined the depths, the abysses of this sacred heart of Jesus. Um, and as I read this, again, picture Jesus silent before Pontius Pilate. It's okay to turn these litanies into meditation too instead of just kind of racing through them. This is how the church describes the heart of Jesus as son of the eternal father. Heart of Jesus, formed in the womb of the Virgin Mother by the Holy Ghost. Remember, it was Mary's body that formed physically the sacred heart. The heart of Jesus, united substantially with the Word of God, of infinite majesty, holy temple of God, tabernacle of the Most High, house of God and gate of heaven, glowing furnace of charity, vessel of justice and love, full of goodness and love, abyss of all virtues, most worthy of all praise, king and center of all hearts, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the divinity, heart of Jesus, in whom the Father is well pleased, heart of Jesus, of whose fullness we have all received. This next one, my favorite, desire of the everlasting hills. Heart of Jesus, patient and rich in mercy, rich to all who invoke thee, fount of life and holiness, propitiation for our sins, saturated with revilings, crushed for our iniquities, made obedient unto death, pierced with a lance, source of all consolation, our life and resurrection, our peace and reconciliation, victim for our sins, salvation of those who hope in thee, hope of those who die in thee, Delight of all saints. 
and that heart that takes away the sins of the world, and finally, meek and humble of heart, even in that litany. So let's conglomerate again, just what I told you from the Greek and the Latin of those last words as how several different translators give us. Meek, humble, gentle, considerate, poor, subservient, and humble. And picture Christ before Pilate is at, as I said, righteous, but silent and loving. And finally, remember that the Eucharist is literally the heart of Jesus. When St. Francis of Assisi looked at the Eucharist and realized this was the God of the universe, he knew that, but he yelled out to his brothers, the other Franciscans around him, Brothers, look at the humility of God. Pour out yourselves before him. Humble yourselves that you may be exalted by him. Hold nothing back of yourself for yourselves, that he who gives himself totally to you may receive you totally. Listen again, brothers, look at the humility of God. Pour out yourselves before him. Humble yourselves that you may be exalted by him. Hold back nothing of yourself for yourselves, that he who gives himself totally to you may receive you totally. Please say an hour, Father, for me. Et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos, et mani et semper. Amen.